This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog, and with me today are two special guests whose names begin with a J and an M. J's first. Let's start, let, let's start with the M first. No, J's first. I said it first. <laughs> okay, fine. This is the one and only Jonathan R. Clausen. That's <gasps> all that really that all that really needs to be said it didn't drop zach it didn't drop what didn't drop the mystic mask well you know i can't help you okay uh this is michael jones the uh guidance counseling pastor for theology gaming university and tech support dude how positively cromulent Hey, Michael, maybe you know this. How long do we have to be on this podcast before he stops referring to us as special guests? <laughs> Never. He's referred to everyone as special guests. We're all special. Which Including, is another way of saying no one is. We're like to all quote the Incredibles. snowflakes. I, I No, I completely disagree. That's bad theology right there. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? What better place to discuss bad theology than on Theology Gaming Podcast? Yeah. Bad theology. No. No. <laughs> like what? What would be bad theology? I have one. I have one. Okay. Okay. Uh, for whatever reason, I have been incredibly curious about this four blood moons thing. Oh. What? Have you heard of this? No. Okay. Yes, this, I've this heard about what? this. This is... It's super yeah, crazy. It's, okay. It's... Yeah. It's a so, prophetic thing. So the four blood moons theory of the end times... Is that there will be? What is this, dude? What is this? There will be four uh, lunar oh, is eclipses. This, is this the John? Is this the John yeah. Haggy thing? Yeah, it's crazy. The four blood oh, moons, like the four lunar eclipses that turn the moon red, and then I guess some kind of prophetic event is going to happen. Once yeah, all four of them happen. No, it's not the the thing in and of itself is prophetic. That's what's going on. All right, hang on, hang on. Now, now we have an official news journalist here on the on the podcast today. So let right. me let me read this in professional journalistic um, thing. I'm going to read this from the first paragraph on the wiki page. <clears throat> Excuse me. On April 15th, 2014, there was a total lunar eclipse. It was the first of four consecutive total eclipses in a series known as a tetrad. Uh, the remaining three eclipses will take place on October 8th of this month, April 4th, 2015, and September 28th, 2015. It is one of eight tetrads during the 21st century Anno Domine. As with most eclipses, the moon appeared red during the April 15th eclipse. The red color is caused by Rayleigh scattering of sunlight through the Earth's atmosphere, the same effect that causes sunsets to appear red. Pastor John Hagee also connects the solar eclipse of March 20th, 2015 in the middle of the sequence. For more, go to wikipedia.com or wikipedia.org and search for Blood Moon Prophecy. Back to you, Zach and M- Michael. <laughs> okay, I, I'm not sure what exactly the purpose of this is. Mm. Neither do I. I so, <laughs> as, the, as the resident prophetic person, um, yes, because, because M. Josh is not here, Please help me. I wish I had more information. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I've heard a lot about it. I've heard that it's really interesting and that it represents a whole bunch of stuff, but I've not heard what it actually means. I guess it's from a reference in Joel, which Peter also quotes in Acts, but I don't think that plucking a verse out of context and then using it with some kind of astrological signs is... Yeah, I hate that stuff. Good I hate, stuff. like, okay, can we can we just talk about eschatology for two seconds? Okay. Yes, as long as okay. you allow me to to tell you what my position is. Um, no. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. No, okay, I'll just say it very briefly. I'm a I'm what's called a panmillennialist. So no millennium is No, 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 a panmillennial everything will pan out in the end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love you got it. Me. Okay. Um so <laughs> my position is and the word backs this up. No man will know the day or the time. Period. You know what I mean? Yeah, it'll all pan out in the end. Yeah. Jonathan, stop it. <laughs> this is unacceptable. No, it's fine. How about post-millennialism? But, Nobody's a post-millennialist. Raise your hands. Oh, wait, I'm on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have mixed views. I've read the Left Behind series, and that was my theology for a long time. All true. And then I was told that that is... I'm sorry. 
I know. Wait, wait, wait. Let me finish. And then I was told that that is like really bad, not accurate at all. And now I'm kind of just like, uh, yeah, it's gonna happen at some point, and stuff's gonna happen. And yep. So you're gonna see the Left Behind movie? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, no. Nicholas Cage, happening. he makes the end times happen. Okay, I'll see the end, the Left Behind movie, but I'm not. Yeah, just yeah. I Nicholas I Cage almost cool. think I would rather see the Kirk Cameron version again. How about both? One no. after the other. <laughs> no. 4K no loss dose. No. Ooh, wow. He's throwing what? out the Latin here. What does that mean? No, it's Spanish. Why not both? 4K no loss dose. Why not ah. both? Uh, je suis par français. No habla espanol. Okay. I am not speaking any foreign language on this podcast. No. no. What is happening right now? I don't know what's happening. Okay, also, so Exodus movie. Did you see Did the you? trailer for the Exodus movie? No, but I saw the uh, I saw the headline of the movies that Christian Bale uh, watched to prepare for the role, which were. <laughs> oh, Did Michael knows what I'm talking about. Oh, please no, but this one's hilarious. Uh, he watched movies to prepare for the role. Okay, <laughs> Christian Bale. This was on IGN today. Okay, here is the headline. <clears throat> oh boy. Christian Bale watched Monty Python to prepare for Exodus, Gods and Kings. <laughs> wow. I don't know how I feel about this. This was a Q&A session from a press junket. And it was, uh, let's see. That, <sighs> was he being serious? <sighs> During the Q&A, Bale revealed that he read the Torah and numerous other texts to prepare for the role and also admitted that he revisited the 56 classic, The Ten Commandments, uh, to out Heston, Charlton Heston. Surprisingly, Bale said he watched both Monty Python's Life of Brian and Mel Brooks's History of the World Part 1 before filming because he wanted to be aware of what could unintentionally come across as humorous when playing, quote, something as earnest and heavyweight as this, end quote. Huh. So it's serious, but in a funny way. Uh, apparently not, not, the watched... movie, not the movie, but the fact that he watched those movies. Yes, indeed. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Because actually the trailer looks pretty interesting. In I don't think we can get worse than Noah. Oh. I really don't think we can get worse than Noah. You know what? Okay, see, I like if you Noah, take... but I think it's super stupid. See, if you take Noah in the context of it's just a movie and not supposed to be have theology based upon it, there's no problem at all. Because rock monsters. Because rock monsters. <laughs> Actually, there's one thing I always remember when someone mentions the Noah movie, and it's Methuselah slash Anthony Hopkins searching for berries in a forest. And I don't. That's the only thing I can remember. Okay, so I haven't seen the Noah movie, and so therefore I cannot comment. <gasps> you haven't seen it? it? No. You deserve you, – you owe it to yourself to at least see it once. Yeah. Okay. I already did that with – uh, God's not dead, and I wished I had those two hours back. Okay, well that that was a bad decision on your part. So right, you mean the Duck right. Dynasty infomercial? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Wait, they're in there? Yes, yeah, they're they in there. Appearance. Well, they that's helped fantastic. finance the film. Oh, that's fantastic. That's so dumb. So, how good of a philosophy teacher is Kevin Sorbo? The worst. <laughs> He's like like his whole shtick is I'm angry at Christianity because. My mom died of cancer. God didn't save my mom. Therefore, I anger. Therefore, I'm a. I'm, the whole reason why I'm a freaking atheist is because I'm bitter. That I think was their Zach, explanation. I, I think Zachary, the the closest pop culture equivalent I can make for the God is not dead movie is it is the Christian version of what Super Mario Brothers was for Hollywood. <laughs> Oh, that's super bad. That's really accurate. <laughs> Although I haven't seen the Super Mario Brothers movie since whenever it came out, 1993. You have to watch it with the riff tracks, guys. It is. I, I kind of need to is, see this. How much is it? It is epic. It's not out on Blu-ray yet. Oh, that's sad. But there's there's this guy I know who writes news stories who did a story on it, and if you know if you ever followed him, you would have seen he did an article. On the Super Mario Brothers Blu-ray coming out in Europe in a couple Jonathan, months. Jonathan, Jonathan, was this you? Was this was this you? Yes, it was. Okay, good. <laughs> I thought this was we were getting at. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't crazy. No, 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 not at all. Hey, now, now, speaking of Super Mario Brothers, that's what we call a video game, right? Uh, 
Yeah. It, they should have made is. a movie video game, actually. You know, well, like, spe- like based of off m- the movie, except it's a Mario game. Well, speaking of movie-style video games, did anyone pick up the Banner Saga on iOS this week? Uh, no. No. I have no Apple platform to even buy such a thing. Well, so, well, do you have you played it on the PC then? At least, no, I haven't bought it. When it hits oh five dollars, I will go buy it. <sighs> you make me sad. I have so be it. <laughs> I've uh-huh. had my head stuck in Puzzle and Dragons for far too long to pay attention to anything else. Yeah, All right, so Michael, I don't know what Puzzle and Dragons is. So, educate me here. What is mm. Puzzle and Dragons? Well, we don't want to talk about it for another hour, but because <laughs> <laughs> okay, we already me... did that. Give me the give me the cliff notes. Um, think Pokemon meets Bejeweled. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. and think uh, in-app purchases. Oh, it's, it's 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 actually strangely very addicting. Okay, and this like, is like what a, on mobile or Steam? On Steam, it's, it's it's mobile. Yeah, every mobile platform. Yeah, I'm actually playing it as we speak. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's that kind of game. It's this kind of game. It is on 3DS, but only in Japan, and this baffles me to no end. Don't talk to me about the 3DS in Japan right now. I am very mad at Nintendo. Why? Because they really Smash Brothers? No, because I invested in a Circle Pad Pro for my 3DS XL. Oh, and now the only, new 3DS. And now Super Smash Brothers does not support it. Really? If you want to use the really? right... No, it does not support the Circle Pad Pro. If you want to use the second uh, analog stick, you have to get the new 3DS that comes out next spring. That's so dumb. Wow. That's and it, I don't know if you have... Have you guys seen pictures of the new 3DS? No. No. It it is it now has okay well first off they've added three big changes to it the first is they've added do you remember the ThinkPad computers or their Lenovo now that instead mm-hmm. of the trackpad they had a little red dot in the middle no of the, the nubbly the nubbly the, th- the the red nubbly that hurts your fingers and it made your finger crack when you pushed it too hard yes, yes that is what is the second analog stick on the new 3ds it's oh. stuck right above right to the top right of the screen. The second change is they've added an eye-tracking camera to it so that you can view the 3D from any angle, Hmm. which is nice. I like that. The other thing is – I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say like the whole 3D concept to me, it's just gimmick. I mean like I haven't had a 3DS to actually test it out and see if it's actually any good. But as far as I'm concerned, the 3DS mechanic is a gimmick. I would say for the majority of the games that is true. However, for and admittedly this is for the first party games like Legend of Zelda: Link mm-hmm. Between Worlds. That game, the 3D makes the game. It okay, really, really fair enough. Because they built the game vertically. A lot of the dungeons are vertical, and you move between different uh, kind of transparent levels. And so the 3D effect actually helps you land your jumps, helps you time, and just it just makes the levels a lot more dynamic. If you don't have that, it, it kind of fails it. Now, not all the games take advantage of that. Right. Uh, but, but the other thing they changed, and this is what baffles me, but it's par for the course for Nintendo, is they've added a faster processor in it. Ooh. Oh, yeah, for Xenoblade Chronicles and other yes, such so, things. So you will be looking, it'll be able to essentially be a Wii emulator. <clears throat> so, you, so you could feasibly see games like Pandora's Tower or The Last Story come there or any other game that doesn't really require motion controls, I guess. You could probably do it with a stylus. But anyway, the, the point is is that there well, will now be wait. two types of 3DS games. There will be games that work on the old 3DS, and there there will be new games that do not work on the old 3DS. You have so to have why, new... why not release a new console? I, it's just called the new 3DS. It's kind of the same thing that Nintendo was doing when they were in third place before, which is basically cater to the quote-unquote hardcore gamer, which is not going to really win them any fans, but... Basically, the best games come out this time, so yeah. that's the unfortunate thing about it. Yeah, it is. It is. So anyway, I'm just mad because the Circle Pad Pro. Oh, and they've added the two triggers on the back. So now there's four triggers on the back of it. Yes, please. <laughs> yes. Indeed. See, I haven't even bought a 3DS yet because I knew something like this was going to happen. Yeah, I would wait for it to come out. It's going to be out in Japan next month. I don't know when it's coming out in the States. There hasn't yeah. been a release date yet. I think it's early next year, I want to say, but <laughs> That's you know, when we I'm think in a rush. The only two countries that have been confirmed for release is Japan and, oddly enough, Australia. What? <laughs> That's bizarre. 
I, that is bizarre. I don't ask me. I did not make. I'm not Nintendo. Yeah. If I was, then they, we would have it here already. Jonathan, but, why are you not Nintendo? You should be Nintendoing harder. <laughs> I. Ooh. See, I was. See, I, I, you were talking about the 3D, and I'm thinking about the gamepad because I don't think I barely use the gamepad at all since I got my Wii. <laughs> awesome. It's almost like it's just kind of there. <laughs> it's good for some stuff, but that's what they. Yeah, it, yeah, it's always the yeah. problem. Nobody else cares about the gamepad except Nintendo. I like the gamepad. <laughs> Bayonetta two is definitely not going to use it, so. Yes, I'm eagerly awaiting that one. So, so what games have you been playing this week, Mister Oliver? Since we last talked, uh, I finished up my Diablo Dragon's Crown shenanigans. I'm done with loot-based action RPGs for a long time. Now, did you beat Diablo or did you beat Reaper of Souls too? I beat Reaper of Souls too. Okay, so you, so did you? Fi- I know you're not one for the narrative, but did you find that a satisfying ending? No. <laughs> no, of course not. It's not like a very good story in any way. It's just there to provide context for you to kill more things. Which is so, fun. It's Diablo. So, so you don't find the uh, the, the loot gra- the the loot farming attractive then for the game? Oh no, the, the loot grabbing is incredibly satisfying in Diablo 3. <laughs> what about you Michael? Are you are you, a, are you a Diablo person? Are you a loot farmer? I played it for a little while on my friend's console. Um, I would love to play it. I currently don't have the availability to do so. Ah, understood. Yeah. No, it's a very good loot grind, and it gets more interesting as it goes. Because I played the original Diablo 3 when it came out, and I'm played Reaper of Souls, and there's like a night and day difference between the quality of both. <clears throat> so when you pl- when you say you played it when it first came out, do you mean the console release, or do you mean the original PC release? No, I mean the PC release. Yeah, I remember. I got that when it came out, and I hated it. Yeah, Real Money Auction House, it's the worst. It was the... If they were doing an MMO version of it, which was the rumor, then it made sense. But since they kept it co-op and single-player, it was a travesty. Yeah, it was an attempt to fix Diablo 2's weird problems with trading, and they had like people selling items and gold because there was no regulation, basically. So right. A lot of this has to do with how they Blizzard decided to set up Battle.net, and it ended up not working because every price got inflated, and you couldn't beat the game unless you really wanted to buy things with real money. Gotcha. Which is problematic. But Reaper of Souls was like, nobody can trade anything anymore. Jeez. <laughs> oh, which is so, uh, What was the other one you said? You said Reaper of Souls, and what was the other game? Dragon's Crown. Okay, so what were you playing that on? PS3 or Vita? PS3. How did you like it? I love the concept, but I don't think the game is very good. What do you just mean that like the mechanics were not that good? The mechanics are great. The loot is okay. The classes all have interesting abilities. The stages are cool, and all of this sounds like a positive reputation. But I, the weird thing about it is the graphics. Every the graphics get in the way of everything. Is it just the style or the fact that everybody is huge on the screen? No, what happens is if there's too many people playing or if there's too many things on screen at once, it becomes literally <clears throat> impossible to tell. Whoa, what's going on? <laughs> Dang, Sorry. what is going on over there? Did you, like, explode? <laughs> <laughs> I was just also, moving. Gonna... Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yikes. Okay. Um, how about you, Michael? What have you been playing this week, other than uh, puzzles and dragons, or dragons and puzzles? Dragons, puzzle and dragons. It's not puzzles and dragons. It's puzzle and dragons. Thanks. Puzzle and dragons. Sorry, That's I why I'm just being dorky. Anyway, <laughs> um, what have I have I have I played anything else? No, I haven't. <laughs> and I feel bad for saying that. I I have not had any time. I've been. Very busy with work. I started a new job a few months ago, and I'm still trying to get used to it. Um, I do tech support for a very large company, which I like a lot, called MindBody. Um, And in this company, uh, they have software that they sell to – or that they license, excuse me, to health and fitness places. So like Yoga Ah. Studios, CrossFit, um, rock climbing gyms, that sort of thing. 
and um, I do tech support for the software. So that takes up a lot of my time because I get full days, but I have to take the bus to the next town over. And so, yeah, it doesn't give me a whole lot of time to do anything, but very slight amounts of social situations and work. I hear you. I hear you. So you've been doing Puzzle and Dragons. This week has been, uh, for me, it has been a quest to get to level 26 on Destiny. That has been the <laughs> that has been the only thing I have been playing. Well, okay. What's the I shouldn't level say cap? that. Okay, there's two caps. The soft cap is 20, the hard cap is 30. And by that, I mean ex- regular grinding for experience gets you to 20. Oh. But to get from 20 to 30, you have to get gear, specifically armor, that has a statistic on it called light. Because, you know, it's the light versus the darkness. Yeah. And the light statistic on your armor is what takes you up. So, like, for example, to get from 20 to 21, you have to have a combined statistic of 21 light across your helmet, arms, chest, and boots. This seems time-consuming. It is, because getting from 0 to 20 is easy. Is that you can do in a few days, easily. You just do those story missions, do your bounties, and boom, you're there. But to get from 20 to 30, that is a grind fest. See, I saw I saw somebody comment earlier on Game Church, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I got from I got to twenty. No problem." I wonder why everyone's complaining. Haven't heard from him since. Yes. <laughs> yeah, zero to twenty's easy. That's fine. You just have that nice little XP bar you see at the bottom of the screen continually go up, and then it goes away once you hit twenty. <laughs> and then it's all about the loot drops. It's just like it's just like in Diablo. You have classes of gear. You have white for. Un- for white for common, green for uncommon, blue for rare, purple legendary, orange exotic. And you are praying and praying and praying for the blue and purple drops. And then sometimes those engrams don't turn into the correct color that you want. And they do now. They, they do, do now. Now, now that they released the patch yesterday. So After uh, everyone complained. <laughs> oh, dude. It's just the loot system was broken. But, you know, I, I, I want to... There, there was one thing that was interesting about it... A mag, a site that doesn't normally do video games, did a review on Destiny today, and I thought it was, I thought it would be worth bringing up. Uh, the New Yorker did a review really on Destiny today. Wow! And the New Yorker is is obviously not known for its uh, for its video games. Uh, and the headline of the review. Uh, as I'm quickly pulling it up here, by Simon Parkin, was Destiny's Unintended Critique of Consumerism. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, and it was it was actually a very... It wasn't so much a review on the game's mechanics, but more about the... Let, let me, I'll just read this one paragraph from it, because I think it sums it up pretty well. So you return to work in order to save up. The better your equipment, the greater your social status with other players. The greater your social status, the more they will want you on their team and the more they will envy your achievements, which are clearly displayed in the clothes that you wear. In the game's later stages, the only way to advance your character is by equipping him or her with better items, which is the light statistic I told you about. In this way, from a certain angle at least, Destiny exposes the alluring futility of the consumerist systems on the other side of the screen. The game is designed to keep you dissatisfied with your life so that you will continue playing and investing. Like World of Warcraft, when you peel back the metaphor, the game offers a bleak, if unintended, critique of consumerism. Once you reach the endgame, you become a character that has everything in world. Everything that is except for a purpose. Whoa. Wow. That's... Yep. That's a, that's a good one. I like that one. So l- let me ask you this, Zach. When you play Diablo three, do do you do you feel that it's kind of the same way? Once you beat the game, do you did you feel uh, a draw to have to go back and get the the better loot by playing it through on a harder level? Uh, I wanted to get a taste of how the actual loot grinding was going to be because the adventure mode is actually pretty interesting. So they basically like send you out on bounties, which are basically like wow quests. Right. And you go out and then you do it and then you do five and then you can go into a Nephilim rift and you go in there and possibly things are you know, like you're just looking for legendaries at this point. And it's basically gearing for efficiency's sake. So what's the most efficient way to kill all these people, right? And the most efficient way to do it is not to be on the highest difficulty you can actually do, but it's actually to go back to expert or something and then grind some more so 
I find it attractive in the sense that Diablo 3 is fun to play, but it's not that fun to play. Gotcha. Now, what about you, Michael? Have you ever played any games? Does the loot uh, grind attract you in any way, shape, or form? Uh, I blew two years on RuneScape. Really? On RuneScape? What, what was it about RuneScape that attracted you? <laughs> um, uh, hold on one in four, second. In 400 words or less. <laughs> in 400 words or less. Okay, so we're writing an essay Yeah, now. make sure to uh, count them. Count all the words. One moment, one moment. What? I didn't want there to be explosions. I was moving again. Um, okay, he's still playing his game. <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I'm on my bed, okay? And anyway, there's... Anyway, so... Um, for RuneScape, I originally started playing with a buddy of mine who was, like, my only friend at the time, and he was, like, two years older than me, so he was so cool, you know? You know how it is when you're, like, 12 and you have a friend who's 14? Wow, he's almost an adult. And so, <laughs> right. so um, I played RuneScape with him because he really liked it, and then he stopped playing when he got to level 13, and I played all the way through to level 99, and I was actually level 106 when I was a uh, part member. I wasted about two and a half years worth of playtime uh, just leveling up every single skill. And if you guys have ever played RuneScape, it's like the most grindy game there is. More so than Destiny, I guarantee you. <laughs> oh, I believe you. I believe you. I've heard the tales, but I have never played it myself. It's pretty bad. It's like It's a fun game, um, but... I don't know of any game that gets any grindier. So, yeah, uh, maybe Ultima Online, but that was many. That was a decade or two ago. <laughs> maybe I. I think it would probably compete with that one. Even uh, to be honest, I don't have enough. I don't know the, that game well enough yeah, to say I otherwise. Do I? So l- let me let me see it this way then, uh, Zach. When or, when you played Diablo, did you play solo or did you play co-op with people? I played solo to get the level cap, but right now I'm playing with my parents to finish the game. See, that sounds cool. Okay, first off, I want to say that is freaking awesome that you got parents <laughs> that'll play Diablo with you. Yeah, because I'm, I'm they like it. I'm playing Destiny with my son right now. And that's cool because my, my parents did not let me have video games growing up. You know, most most boys, when they get to a certain age, they hide certain things under their mattress. I hid a Game Boy Color under my mattress. <laughs> that's awesome. With my copy of Metroid 2 Return of Samus. That was my, uh, that was my evil vice growing up. That's a game you uh, can spend a lot of time with. It was. That was the first Metroid game I ever played. So apparently it was the wrong one to play if you ask the internet. But what does the internet know? So, but, you know, going back to this New Yorker bit, the, the, I like everything. I like that closing line they had. Like World of Warcraft, when you peel back the metaphor, the game offers a bleak critique of consumerism. Once you reach the end game, you become a character that has everything in the world. Everything that is except for a purpose. Do you think that's a fair assumption? Or do you think that's a fair analysis of what uh, Destiny has sounded like, or any game that uh, requires a grind? It depends on the game. Like for example, Diablo. There's really not an end game there. There's just an endless pursuit for loot. Whereas in World of Warcraft, the raiding and all that other stuff is kind of a means to an end to get people to actually play together. So gotcha. Like, you know, smash 25 people together, you know. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you kind of hit a gear cap, and that's usually when I quit the game. <laughs> so, like, right. let's say Siege of Ogremar came out, like, last September or so, right? Mm-hmm. I raided it for three months, and then I'm like, well, I'm done, you know, because they're not going to release a new expansion until next year. So, what's the point in playing? But if I'm leveling a new character or I'm doing something like that, I'm like, okay, well, WoW is fun in and of itself without the gear incentive that I don't care. <laughs> what about you, Michael? Is there uh, Besides RuneScape, are there any other games that you think could fall into a category of not having a purpose once you get past the story? See, that's, so, that's hard for me to really say because um, that was the one game that I really played when I, when I, where I realized I didn't know why I was playing the game after a certain point. Yeah. But ever since then, I've grown uh, much more drawn to games that were uh, more story-driven. Um, so that's, that's, that's why I asked you about The Last of Us earlier, because I really, really liked the story for that one. Um, other games like that would be like uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Um, I love the Star Wars universe. I love all the lore and everything that goes into it. And so for me, playing a game that's not driven by story for any other means than, say, maybe a paycheck at this point or that I can't help myself, like something like Puzzle and Dragons, 
um, which could fall under that category, uh, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> um, I, I just couldn't see myself doing it. You know what I mean? The stories that like the like I played. I, I will give one caveat, but it's definitely not for grindy reasons. Um, I did finish uh, Journey recently with a friend. Um, and it was beautiful, but I didn't get impacted by it like a lot of other people I know did. Like I know you didn't, that, bre- you didn't break down and cry when you're when you once you come back and you're flying up the mountainside. No, I was like, oh, this is. <laughs> I was like, this is really pretty, and it's a one-hour game. Okay. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I I, I shed a tear at the end of that game. Journey was like, <laughs> I think my thoughts on that subject are well thought out. No. Did, did you write it? See, this is what Journey was a beautiful game. Yes, it was Buddhism wrapped up in in a, in a game, but yes, still, what you weren't moved by that at all? What Zachary? Okay, no, it's one of the <sighs> boring video games I've ever played. I wow, I, it, wow. Okay, I, I didn't even take that stance. Dang, no, it's awful. I don't like Journey. I'm sorry. Okay, now I want to unpack this. Why <laughs> don't you like Journey? It's just not a very good video game. What isn't good about it? There's no incentive to challenge. It's an interesting world, but there's nothing really to do in it. It's like a giant roller coaster ride. It's the AAA experience condensed into about an hour or so with zero combat segments or anything that approximates challenge. Now, if something you could die on the way there, there might be some kind of incentive for me to go, hey, you know, this is difficult, or my journey felt worthwhile, but all I knew was that I was pressing forward and jump a whole lot. Yeah, now, that's, that, yeah. Now, is that because you? Uh, I remember we've talked about this before. You do not have an investment in the narrative of most games, correct? That's not what attracts you. You like the challenge, the mechanics. I do like it. Like for example, I'm playing Nino Kuni, but I like the story in Nino Kuni. So it's a nice little addition to all the weird battle system things going on. I mean, the most of the time you're playing a JRPG, right? You're in a battle. You're not like hanging around town most of the time. You're in a, you're in this alternate dimension usually yeah. when you go to those battles. Yeah, and that alternate dimension is where the bulk of the game is happening. So it better right. be interesting if you're going to play fifty hours in. Now, what about you, Michael? What was it about Journey that you liked and disliked then? Because I want I want to compare and contrast against you and Zachary here on this. This, this fascinates me. I also bought right. it at full price, which is also why I don't like. it. I think that was an excellent investment into the video game industry, sir, and you should not feel shame on that. I feel lots of shame right now. <laughs> I did not like Journey, and I do not plan on buying anything else from that game company ever. What game company? That game company. What, what game company? They made... What do you Who's call? on first? <laughs> they made Spore and Flower, and those games are like oh, also did, the same thing. No, they didn't make Spore. They made not Flower spore, and Flow. Flow, they whatever, flower, with flow, the bacteria yeah. running around. Spore is a different game, yeah. Right. Okay, um, Michael, for, what were you going to say about Journey? Well, for me, um, I really enjoyed the art style. Like, I thought it was beautiful. Like, the end game, it was a little overly bright. That was my only complaint about the art. Um, but the point was, I mean, you're in heaven. I mean, sorry for those who haven't played the game. Spoilers. Welcome to life. Um, but basically, the idea is it's supposed to be hard to look at because – you know, our eyes aren't made to see this sort of thing, um, I guess was the idea behind it. But I love the art style, and I thought that the 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 way that it made you – like, you didn't have to necessarily work with a team, but it did make the journey itself more enjoyable when you did, uh, like, work with other players. I thought that that was really neat. Um, but as far as, like, gameplay, it, you know, it was uh, – could have had a lot more to it, definitely. Um, yeah, that's my thoughts. Also, you know, it was an hour and a half long. But it's the simplicity that makes it so engaging. Yay. No, no, no I don't agree with that necessarily. I, I liked looking at it. It was pretty. It was, it was neat. It was an experience, but I probably wouldn't play it again. Um, however, I was legitimately uh, scared for once when... <coughs> those creatures popped out and all of a sudden I had to defend myself with nothing to defend myself with. Yeah. That, that was, that would, yeah, that made me jump quite a few times when the stupid little serpent snake monster things. Yeah. That was like, and you lost your scarf. Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) There was the, 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 the first time I played it through, I had a random person with me and I remember I had a stinking long scarf. This guy, other guy or girl, whoever it was had another long scarf. 
and th- they got attacked by the serpent monster thing, and I mm-hmm. did. And I remember I felt so bad for this person. I mean, I knew the character wasn't going to die because there's no death in the game. Mm-hmm. But I felt bad because this person got injured, and I'm like, wait a second. Why am I caring about per- this person when I normally hate every person I interact with online because they're usually foul-mouthed little things? Well, there's a big part of that where you don't actually have to interact with them other than through your little chirp system. Mm-hmm. Or at least Which you don't I, even have an option. You don't, it's, it's not like, yeah. oh, I don't have to. It's like, oh, I can't. This, yeah. is, this is my main form of interacting with these people. The game forces you to be friendly. Right. <laughs> I don't think it for no no I disagree with that. I don't think it forces you to be friendly. I think it I think in the only it forces you to be friendly if you want to have communication, but you don't have to have communication. Yeah, you if just you don't off like if, I did. <laughs> if you don't want to if yeah, if you don't want to play with someone, you can either turn PSN off or you can just flit away from them and float off somewhere and yeah. then they will be disconnected from your game world. I played it twice, once mm-hmm. offline and once online. So I think that's the best way to play it. And then yeah. So nothing did still did nothing for me. It's just you like, unsociable you hermit, you. Well, I just do not like Journey, and I'm not going to like it. <laughs> you don't oh, have to like okay. Zachary. You know what? It's okay. You know what? You're justified before Christ, so you don't need to justify yourself to me, even though I think you have horrible taste in games. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Well, so what's my favorite game? Ask me. Okay, you know? Zachary Oliver, owner and proprietor of Theology Gaming University, what is your favorite video game? Bayonetta, next. <laughs> what was no. the purpose of that question? Okay, wait, hang, hang on a sec here. I'm trying to wrap... How, what? Yes. What? It's awesome. Oh, okay, you have to break this down for me. Okay, but before we do that, I want to hear Michael. Michael, what is your favorite game? Uh, At this point in history. Uh, honestly? Yes, honestly. I, no, okay, I'm not going to say Puzzle and Dragons. Don't, don't <laughs> expect that. I'm not going to say Puzzle and Dragons because it's not my favorite game. I'm actually, like, kind of frustrated with it right now. Um, my favorite game of all time would be uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, and I desperately want to play two um, because of the story that's involved. One, Star Wars Universe. Two, D&D D20 system. Three, lightsabers which i know is part of the star wars universe but still um Mm -hmm. and four rpg elements also i love that you had like your characters can interact you had the ability to choose your path you know i mean it was only 20 hours which kind of sucked i think that was the part i liked about at least um also i wish there was a little bit more depth in like the item crafting system because it was kind of just there you know (laughs) um that happens a lot in those games. Right. But at the same time, it, it opened the way for a lot of other games. Like, um, I think that was – I mean, stop me if I'm wrong, but I think that that was one of the reasons why Mass Effect did its dialogue the way that it did because it, it ended up being successful that way. And now a lot of games try to do Mass Effect-style dialogue. Yeah. So it's kind of a pre- well, precursor to that. Knights of the Old Republic was Bioware, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. But they got a lot of inspiration from Baldur's Gate, for one thing. Yes. That's where they started. And then they also got inspiration from Planescape Torment, which is basically the dialogue system game. Right. So, Planescape Torment recommendation right now. <laughs> okay, do, do you mind if I hijack the conversation one other time? Yeah. Oh, what's you your... Just, for- you, What's your favorite game, first of all? Yeah. Well, if, if you've ever followed me on any... My favorite game, hands down, is Silent Hill 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're the survival horror dude. Well, it's not even so much that. It's Silent Hill 2, for me, is the pinnacle of narrative telling in video games, period. To this, and, and that goes up to games that I'm still playing today. Because it does two things extremely well. One is atmosphere. I, I am hard-pressed to find another game that can give you the utter sense that you are absolutely and totally alone, as Silent Hill 2 does. Metroid comes close, but you're, it's an action combat game, so you have this kind of power trip that you can just destroy anything and everything that comes it's at you. It's a different kind of isolation, because it's more like I'm on a hostile world, but I also can develop the tools necessary to find my way around. Right, and Silent Hill 2 is a world that you can die in at any given moment. <clears throat> With and with the, with the character Harry Mason, or no, I'm sorry, that he's from the first one, James Sunderland. The the basic premise of Silent Hill Two is this, and I won't, but I won't be long on this. Is he gets a letter from his wife Mary saying she's waiting for him at their special place in Silent Hill, 
The only problem with this is receiving a letter from his wife is that she's been dead for three years. So oh. K- kind of causes a hiccup in the whole narrative there. So, so the game so, – but the thing is there's nothing stopping James from getting in his car and driving away. There is uh, – you really get the feeling – and I'm quoting Yahtzee here because he, he said it better than anyone else. You get, the, you get the feeling that he literally has nothing else to live for. And the other thing is too is – and this is a slight spoiler. So if you don't like – if you want to play Silent Hill 2 and you don't know the story, skip ahead 15 seconds. Well, I've already Silent- spoiled it for myself. So. <laughs> okay. Silent Hill 2, this, the town of Silent Hill is a self-made purgatory in that game. Everything that James Sunderland has, it's a self-torture device for him because in the end you find out that he killed his own wife. And so the game, Pyramid Head, the nurses, everything that is in the game serves as his own personal purgatory. And when you meet the other players in the game, they are also they don't see the same thing James does. But anyway, it's just there's so many depths, there's so many layers to it. That's just why I love it so much. It's just it's a, a, it's a very cool premise, and it's not like any other Silent Hill game. Which is no, what makes not. it unique. The, the only other game on the Silent Hill series that I like nearly as much as that was the Wii version, Shattered Memories. Wow. I hear a lot of people don't like Shattered Memories at all. <laughs> it's one of those devices. It's like Final Fantasy VIII. You either love it or you hate it. Yeah. I liked it because it had no combat whatsoever. And it did get. It got to the point where you could tell when you were safe and when you were actually in danger. But because they tried something completely different and they re. It was a retelling, not a remake. That's why I liked it so much. Huh. It, it was it had enough homage to the first game that it was just faithful to that, and it, it did enough things that were different to make it feel like it warranted a little bit more respect than the others. So I'm guessing you're looking forward to the new Sound Hill, but maybe not. <laughs> oh, dude. As soon as I saw those two names, Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro, I, I almost wet myself. That kind of scares me a little bit. <laughs> dude. I, I, dude, those two names right there. I mean, that's like chocolate and cake Although in one sentence. Here's the thing. Hideo Kojima's name was also attached to Lords of Shadow, which, for me, is not really a Castlevania game. Yeah, there is that. It's kind of like God of War with Castlevania attached. But then I de- But, okay, I played PT for hours before I knew what it was. Oh, that's great. I- I had no clue it was a Silent Hills demo. Did you get any jump scares? Dude. Okay, I, I played that game. <laughs> I have not been that scared in my life since I played the original Silent Hill 2 back <laughs> on the PS2. I mean, I I slept with the lights on that night. I'm no joke. <laughs> I was so scared. That, man. dude, that freaked me out, and I loved it. Oh, man. I couldn't do it. I, I just couldn't do it. Who, who, what was the, um, there was a, a game announced recently that I thought they made an interesting trailer for us. Uh, sadly, I didn't get to play it, but it was like a playable trailer. Yeah. Or something called, like that. It's called PT. Yeah. It stands for playable trailer, <laughs> pay, playable teaser. And that, that was when it first came out, it was at Gamescom in Cologne, mm-hmm. Germany. And they just made kind of like, oh, we have this new game. It's downloadable right now on the PSN. Go check it out. They, they mm-hmm. didn't make a big deal out of it. And then people started playing it. And then people were getting scared out of their minds, and Twitch blew up with this game. Everyone wanted to see, and then suddenly someone finally figured out how to beat it, and then they get this trailer with Norman Reedus, the guy from Walking yes. Dead, plays Daryl, mm-hmm. in it, and, and then they see Silent Hills, and then they see Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro, who did La- Pan's Labyrinth, and oh Pacific wow, Rim, okay, and uh, Devil's Backbone, and a bunch of other really good creepy movies and we're like oh yes this okay is... wait 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 wait. pacific rim is considered creepy well no no but pan's labyrinth was okay yeah. all right, all right, all right. Yeah. yeah it's just yeah pan's labyrinth <laughs> yeah that gives me the shivers but i i wanted to ask you zach you, you mentioned uh, uh dialogue games and something that i saw today made me think it uh, twine i finally played depression quest yesterday Huh. And and I don't want to talk about Quinn and any of that stuff. I'm I'm just speaking about no, Twine. Let's as, not. No, no, definitely. I merely bring that up just because that's the first my first experience with a Twine game. And the I have a hard time deciding whether I believe Twine games. And I played a couple others today just to reiterate this to myself. But do you think Twine is an actual gaming platform, or do you find it more of an interactive novel, like the choose your own adventures? 
I know there's conflict of opinion on this, visual novels and that sort of thing. Conflict? Sounds like a great thing for a discussion. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) It's a strange thing. I don't really think adventure games are very good games. They're great dialogue delivery devices. But the problem is with a lot of the adventure games anyway, you have to go through the convoluted logic of figuring out what the developers want. Okay, now when you say adventure game, give me an example of what you mean by adventure game. uh, LucasArts, Telltale, this kind of thing. Okay, so you're thinking Dave the Tentacle, Monkey Island... Yeah, earlier stuff. But to make them more accessible, they had to basically remove the parts of it that had any kind of challenge. Which was like, oh, dialogue. Well, dialogue is here. You know, like The Walking Dead, that kind of thing. So, basically, to make it a more accessible game, they had to make adventure games slightly worse than they already were. So now it's basically a series of interactive choices. And it's like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Except it's much better written. Well... That that's debatable, I guess, depending on <laughs> on on who's doing it. But <laughs> uh, but l- let me let me read you just real quick because I, I love reading things. Uh, this was from Kevin Shutt's book of Games and God on defining video games, and he said my favorite definition is that of game design theorists Katie Salen and Eric Zimmerman. Quote: A game is a system in which players engage in an artificial conflict defined by rules that results in a quantifiable outcome. That is so vague as to be meaningless. <laughs> well, no, I'm okay. Well, think about it. Um, all games involve, you know, you know, some type of struggle, whether it's Tetris, Pong, or Grand Theft Auto, or Destiny, or Diablo, there's a conflict. And we enter into it voluntarily. And nine times out of ten, there's some type of, there's a, there is a win scenario. There is a win state, just as there is a fail state. You have a game like, um, like, like, uh, like Twine, a Twine game. Like Depression Quest, is there a quantifiable outcome? Is there a win condition? Is there a fail condition? And do you have to have those in order for it to be considered a game? It doesn't even have to be narrative. It could be just mechanic. You know, the, the, like, what is the quantifiable win condition in Pong? You score more than the other person. Well, it's basically like an adventure game or a text-based adventure game. These are kind of examples of an unfair test. Basically, you okay. can fa- you can fail at these, or they mask the failures. So that's not a failure anymore. It's just a quote unquote choice. So there's no right or wrong decision. There's no optimal way to play any of these kinds of games, which is gotcha. fine. I-, I understand what the point is of these dialogue trees and going through these processes of like getting a story. Right? It's supposed to put you into a narrative, or you're supposed to solve a puzzle by your lonesome. But like, <laughs> these are kind of the games that are just like not really that interactive and not really containing that many interesting things in and of itself if you get what i mean right i I do what you mean michael what do you got to add to that it's not adding anything to the video game format it's merely presenting you with series of choices based off dialogue trees gotcha which might be interesting for some people but just it's not interesting to me at all see and i I think I think that it really like the dialogue trees aspect. Like, yeah, I mean, you can there. There is a quote unquote optimal way to play where you get the most amount of rewards and the most amount of, um, like capabilities given to you through completing the dialogue tree or or whatever. Like, say, um, I can I think of this one specific like side quest that you run into on Dantooine um, in KOTOR where you're forced to basically play detective and figure out who's lying and who's correct. And if you figure the whole thing out, they're like, well, you're awesome. But you can also partially fail, get it completely wrong or uh, partially succeed. Um, I felt that it was, they do like, if you're just looking for optimal gameplay, which I know that Zachary, that's his thing. Like, if I if he can't do it the bestest, he doesn't want to do it at all. Um, <laughs> Depends on the game. For the most part, as a rule, as like, a rule. Yeah, that's because I didn't say Kingdom Hearts was any good. No, let's not talk about that. Anyway, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys are like Kingdom Hearts is so good. But okay, so the whole point is it adds to the to the character and the expansion of the universe. Like it's. It's showing that this universe is not just – and I understand, yes, it's a game, but there's there's an immersion aspect to this. It's showing that this universe is dynamic. It's not just, 
oh, these are NPCs. It's like, well, you have some options here and your options actually affect the outcome of the game. You know what I mean? Because a lot of the time it's either you win or you fail where when you have the ability to look into a situation, come up with your own solution and see if your solution is um, what would actually solve the problem or or maybe even partially solve the problem, that's where it kind of gets into the player aspect, like like you start getting involved in the universe, so to speak. I, so I don't I don't think that it's entirely pointless. Um, I, yeah, I think my yeah. problem with adventure games and visual novels and stuff is that you can do this in a video game. Like there were technological limitations back in the day where it was like, well, there's kind of this promise of a giant world to kind of navigate, right? And you you know you'd go and talk to this NBC and you'd make decisions based off this, or you know you'd make this decision, or you would try mm-hmm. to figure out this riddle, and all this stuff was cool. But now that we can basically create a virtual version of Chicago and place people in it, the adventure game model to me has kind of should be dissipating, but it's not. <laughs> it's like they've decided that they're not going to put it in an open environment because that would kind of limit their ability to tell you a story and less about interacting with the world they created. So that's where I find my problem lies. <laughs> well, see, that's not even necessarily true because when you come up to games like Grand Theft Auto, where the whole point of the game is to basically do whatever you want, or other games like um, what was the it was, uh, you had a grappling hook or something like that. Yeah, so just you cause? could create just an cause. adventure game or one of these kind of Walking Dead games inside of an open world. But the problem is they feel like they can't constrain the player in ways that would be interesting for them, right? They're not letting the player make a choice. They're ramrodding them through a series of choices, like a movie or a choose-your-own-adventure novel. And I get that. But you could watch a movie and get a lot of the same thing. I just don't see it that same way. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, the, the thing that's different between a movie and a digital game is that you as the player have the ability to affect that like in a movie you sit there yeah. and watch it and you, you you watch it and no matter what happens every time Yul Brenner is going to eventually be won over by by Anna or Charlton Heston is going to part the red sea or Christian Bale will scream and yell at the poor camera gaff out you know you know behind the scenes right right <laughs> that's going to happen in in a game Unless you click on the screen, uh, uh, Bernard Bernoulli, the nerd in Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle, unless you click on the screen, he's not going to move. Right. Unless, unless you move the left analog stick forward, Batman's not going to walk like he has a pull up his behind <laughs> through, the, through the game. It's, yeah, and like it, requires Dead, inter- it requires interaction. Yeah, but like in Walking Dead, for example, let's say, right? You can walk around in an environment. And, but you can't interact basically with anything except for the other people because that's what the developer wants you to do, right? Right. Well, they have well, to constrain your play so that they can tell well, their story because their story is more important than you. <laughs> well, well, that's, no, that's you're, you're, The Walking you're, Dead. There are other games that don't necessarily constrain your play. I mean, uh, well, up you, up to and including, like, say, uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. I mean, if we're going to talk about it, let's. Okay, let's not talk about it. But there, there's a lot <laughs> of choices that you good. can make in that game. Um, well, you're, you're, you're describing exactly what Kevin Shutt described. It's a system. The system in Walking Dead is merely that you are limited to interactions with people. The system in Grand Theft Auto is that you are limited to what you can do within the open world that Rockstar has built. You can go into some buildings. You can't. You can drive some cars. You can't drive others. You can have conversations with some people. You can't have conversations with others. The only difference is the system is different in each one, and I think that system is what speaks differently to you as opposed to me, which yeah. is why I found the system to journey sublime and you found it a piece of trash. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> See, the story can be interesting, but I realize it's just a story overlaid upon a mechanic that has already existed, which is the dialogue tree, right? It, exactly. And the Stories dialogue tree is like three, four choices, and you make the choice, and then possibly another choice comes up. And mm-hmm. this system is just inherently limiting because it can only provide you with certain kinds of interactions. Yeah, like take Mass Effect, for example. If you wanted to go the Paragon route, nine times out of ten, all you have to do is hold the analog stick in the upper left-hand corner and just spam X. Yeah, which I did, and I'm, I was fine with that. That's what I wanted to be. But it's 
it's not as interesting as I think game developers think it is. Well, we are still de- – I mean it's still developing as a medium. I mean we're just now starting to get – it's still being written. I mean it's still – everything is still predetermined by the developers. Yes, you are walking within their system. Yeah, but which we're I'm not going to well, but we're not going to get to the point outside of that until we achieve like some sort of true AI or anything like that. You know what I mean? It's like, going to be a long time before that happens. Exactly. So <laughs> I'm not Sky sure what Net. you're getting at. Right. Although to judge based on what we have now, the dialogue tree really hasn't added that much. No, I would agree with you there. I don't think it has added much at all. It's just kind of – the problem is it's a backward step here. And that's why I don't like the dialogue tree or the way that they're trying to go, hey, your choices matter when they kind of don't. <laughs> because there's yeah. always going to be one or two or three predetermined ends, and they might change them a little bit, but in the end, the developer is deciding your fate here. <laughs> well, I think you can go along the lines and, and to drop a nice big pretentious philosophy word in here, that's where postmodernism comes into it. Yeah. Because this, this story, and again, let's t- since we're on the subject, let's take Mass Effect. It's about the journey, not the end. Because the end in Mass Effect 3 sucked. I'm sorry, it did. I'm it not going to debate. I'm not going to debate that with you guys. I don't think anybody's going to debate that with you. Okay, good. Uh, I know one guy who thought it was the absolute best ending ever written. I'm like, you probably like the ending of Lost too, but that's yeah. <laughs> see, it was the marketing story that promised something that the actual story could never ever deliver. But oh, everybody yeah. bought into it, which was fine, right? But the story that they had was never going to be as good as whatever they advertised. Yeah. And, and you can point to the, you, you can point to the moment where the game went south, when the journey ended. Because as soon as you started the final mission, you assault the Cerberus compound in Mass Effect 3, the story ends. That is where, that is the final roller coaster. That's the motion. Are you sure you want to proceed? Yes. This is the last chance. Do you want to proceed? As soon as you hit that moment in the game, it goes downhill because everything that has been built up over the last four to five years of development, the first three games, cannot compete with what you have in your own mind. And by the time we all got there, everyone was like, no, this is not the ending we wanted. Give us our (laughs) ending because we are entitled losers. Okay, to be fair, that ending is is pretty terrible. It was pretty terrible. But then we can get into the whole issue of gamer entitlement, but that's a whole other topic for another time. But see, that was the thing. The marketing story promised that your choices mattered. The real story is, in the end, the developer's choices matter. And that right. goes for Walking Dead too, or any kind of story-based game that has these, like, you make your own choices kind of thing, right? They can only provide you with so much. <laughs> you have to realize, at the end, you do realize that it's basically, they wrote something, and that's really going to be the ending. And yeah. they're so, just giving you the illusion that your choices matter in the end. So this is all coming from the guy who is not exactly a socialite. What, what do you mean? You, Zachary. What do you mean I'm not a socialite? Dude, you... Okay. <laughs> we had this discussion what on What kind TGU. of accusations are these? Um, you yourself have said that... I mean, you've, create, you've written articles on this, like human interaction and stuff like that. And I mean, I, 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 maybe I haven't... I've only I'm skimmed over it. I'm just able but. to dispassionately analyze my own interactions with other people. <laughs> okay. According he comes to from every he, test I've taken, I'm an extrovert, so... <laughs> He he is know. wearing the he is wearing the Iron Man mask well, in his pictures right now. But <laughs> <laughs> I just have a thing about privacy online. So no, I hear I hear you. I yeah. hear you there. That's why my address and other such things are not located on my Facebook because that would seem like not a thing to do. Wait, but your Facebook yeah. is tied to TGU and 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 your website and your website yeah, has your face. Fine. It has my real name and my face, but how much can people really do with that? Uh, go ask. Here's the question. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Well, that's why I'm not going to hurt or try to insult anybody. That's Good idea. Things. Good idea. Right. Right. And uh, and that's right. where we land. Oh my goodness. Speaking of landing, anything else you guys got before we wrap it up? Because I have to wrap up. I'm not trying to hijack the show. I'm just saying I have to wrap up. Well, I I'm like. I'm ba- like. Huh. <laughs> go ahead. I told you Bayonetta was my favorite game, right? And you were incredulous. I, I don't – I'm not saying your choice is incredulous. I'm just trying – well, okay, yeah, your choice is incredulous. <laughs> <laughs> you can be honest. I, I mean I enjoyed the first Bayonetta. I can't, I can't do fighting games and I hate, hate, 
hate games that grade you at the end of every mission because if I don't get that ah. stupid freaking S, I will just be, ah. I will well, be so annoyed. That is a game where you can never really get a good score on your first playthrough. You it's, can on the first mission, on the tutorial. Yeah, but on a couple things, right? But it's just not possible to be good at it the first time through. I've tried. Oh, man. So, but yeah, but okay, so succinctly tell me, why is Bayonetta your favorite game? Uh, I was not the biggest fan of action combat games, like, back in the day. I mean, I played Devil May Cry and I played Ninja Gaiden and I beat all those. But I didn't really have an incentive to actually play past first play, right? Mm-hmm. So then I saw Bayonetta and I'm like, oh, that's the guy that made Beautiful Joe and these other games. And I just, then I waited four years for the game to come out. <laughs> and then finally I downloaded the Japanese demo because I could not wait. And I was very surprised at how difficult it was. And it was kind of a stiff challenge to get through this. So are you a Ninja Gaiden fan too? I am a Ninja Gaiden fan too, yeah. That totally makes sense. I like Bayonetta more. Okay. Because Bayonetta has a bunch of things that are superior to Ninja Gaiden in subtle ways. So, for example, I just happen to like the scoring system. I think it's clear, it's precise, everything makes sense in Bayonetta. Nothing is wasted. All the content is either reused in interesting ways, or the systems all interplay with each other in a way I don't think many games ever bother to think of. And that also goes for the, the game being inherently satisfying without any of the scoring mechanics. So the game is fun when you start, and it's also fun when you start learning all the things like dodge offset and how to juggle enemies infinitely in the air and setting up incredibly long combos with no practical purpose but are fun by themselves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What it reminded me more of anything, because I, I have to confess, I've never played a Ninja Gaiden game ever. Wow. Any of them? Like old or new? None? Either. Either of them. So, But what it reminded me of more than anything was Devil May Cry, the because original. It's the same director. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the combo system, and while I was juggling a few people up there, not forever, because I'm not that good, <laughs> I was like, I feel like I should have like twin pistols named Ebony and Ivory, and they should be d- j- jumping up in the air. Oh, wait, that's right, that's Devil May Cry. Same yeah. guy! <laughs> yeah, so that's what, it, that's what it reminded me of. Basically, that game, Bayonetta, is Hideki Kamiya thinking about how to improve the same thing he made in Devil May Cry for a decade, mm-hmm. and then jam it all into one single game. Nice. <laughs> and so Bayonetta 2 comes out. He didn't direct this one, but I hope it's as good. I don't know. The, the reviews have been positive. There are reviews already? Yeah, in Japan. Oh, Japan. Oh, Famitsu, right? Yeah, I think Famitsu has a score out already. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, well, they give everything a 10, so it's kind of hard to trust them at this point. Uh, yeah, they're like the old Play magazine. They give everything yeah. a good rating. They didn't used to, though. Yeah, they used to be pretty critical. They used to be hard. Like, getting that perfect 10 in all four categories was like the, like getting a Michelin star for a restaurant. Like, you cannot do it very easily. Yeah, man. Well, when they used to give out perfect scores that mattered. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they were worth reading. Cool. You guys got anything else? Mm, no, but they put Ocarina of Time on there. They gave it a perfect score. Uh, oh, I'm not even going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I could let you go. Yeah, I, I have an appointment uh, with Destiny. Okay. Uh, you have a yeah. date with Destiny? Uh, yeah, and in fact, if you go to my article on Destiny on GameChurch.com, here's my little self-promotion, uh, y- you can read about why I have an appointment with it and whom I have an appointment with. And I'm not going to tell you because I want you to go to GameChurch and click the link. And then you can read my many articles on TGU. Oh, wait, I don't have any on there yet. Shoot. I need to pitch need one to for that. you. Yeah, pitch I, one. I do need to fix that. We need a need theme to... week or something anyway. We haven't had yeah. one in a long time. Well, dude. Get on that stuff. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Okay. So, by the way, did we discuss community manager? Uh, so far, I don't know. Brian okay. has been kind of on the fence as to whether or not he's actually resigning. So we will. See. I was gonna say he didn't look like he was resigning. I know. I know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> he like left and he got heated about something, and then we came back, and then now he's good. <laughs> I think th- I, I I think Michael, myself, and Brian need to go into a pit, a sand pit, and like. Pick our weapon and go Hunger Game style. I will win. I will only give you this screw. <laughs> <laughs> Let's fight over it. 
<laughs> oh man, that's awesome. I love you guys. I love, love you, you too. Guys. Yeah. Uh, don't ever say that again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, well, Zach, take us out, man. Say goodbye for all of us and, yes. and all that good stuff. Good, thank you, guidance counselor, pastor, whose name hasn't been officially announced because we never have done anything with it yet. Michael Justin Jones. Yeah. And possible community manager in the future, Game Church News guy, Jonathan R. Clausen. Thanks for yes. being on the show. Hey, I, I, you know, it was an honor to be here and to share the mic with one of the strongest proponents of Calvinism and prosperity gospel in the world, Mr. Michael Jones. So thank you for having me on. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> proponents of Calvinism? What? No! No! This is not what I wanted. No. You've been had, sir. See, next week we will discuss the merits of Greek orthodoxy. <laughs> next we will discuss obscure Christian denominations. My best friend, who one of my best friends from growing up, just became an acolyte at a Greek Orthodox church. So we've been having very odd discussions recently about what it means to be a Greek Orthodox acolyte and veneration of Mary and all this stuff. So, yes. One last question before you go. What do you guys think of the Black Mass they had? I wasn't. I, I looked at that. I shook my head. And then I went and watched Supernatural. <laughs> wow. Good choice. <laughs> um. Do I have to have an opinion? Because I don't even know what's going on. Good. You don't need to know. Okay. Cool. Neat. <laughs> it was a bunch of college students trying to be hip. Yeah, Neat. and not quite understanding what Satanism even is, which is all the more funny. Yes. But <laughs> Right. Okay, then. Fair enough. And then Indeed. Catholics saying that they didn't understand Satanism, so they went out and prayed for, this, for the pseudo-Satanists who weren't actually Satanists. Okay, so... So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Everybody was misunderstanding each other, and they were all wandering around. Okay, so all I know is that I'm praying for somebody about something. <laughs> That's usually a good rule of thumb on any day of the week. Yeah. Sounds great. All right, well, this has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. If you would like to talk to any of us, go to the Theology Gaming University Facebook group and ask for an invite. Either Brian, our possible community manager, or I will let you into the gates. It'll yes. be one of us. Yeah, it'll, one, it'll of be us. one of us. The other two will have their head on a pike, Assassin's Creed style, and, and, <laughs> the, and, the, and the victor will be holding our he- their our heads on the on the pikes. <laughs> As for uh, podcast stuff, go on iTunes, give us a five star rating. Please write a review if you liked us. If you didn't, give us a five star review anyway, and just say you didn't like us. It doesn't matter. Uh, also, promote us. Promote us, please. Please. Yes. And if you actually my, like my to read, needs food. if you actually like to read anything related to theology gaming, go to theologygaming.com. I write something almost every day, if not every day. So there you have it. That is our podcast, and I guess I'm going to wrap this up. So goodbye, everybody. Good goodbye, night. everybody. Good night and good luck. Oh, Edward R. Murrow. <laughs>